Hello, and welcome to another edition of Storytelling on Orchard Street. I'm Pete Salamita, and we're in the broadcast or podcast studios at P&T Knitwear on Orchard Street, 180, matter of fact. It's a bookstore. Come check it out one day and buy some books. With me in the studio is the man that's playing the guitar on this recording. Let me put it up a, a, for a second. His name is Fred Argenziano. He's a musician, drums, guitar, and kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's a songwriter and uh, one of my greatest longtime friends. And he just cursed accidentally. Uh, welcome to Storytelling on Orchard Street. Hey, I thought it was okay to swear. <laughs> it is sometimes. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just mark it as not proper for kids. Okay. I, I won't swear anymore. I yeah. I think the mic needs to be just a touch closer. Okay. Yeah. It means it might cover your handsome good looks a little bit. Uh, listen, <laughs> I, I was hoping for that. Yes. You told me not to wear the bag over my head. Yeah. Is that better? Yeah, you could have been the, uh, remember the, um, uh, uh, what was that show called? The, <laughs> the Gong Show. Uh, yeah, the, the Gong Show. The, the Unknown Comic. Yeah, but in your case, it would be The Unknown Guest. <laughs> I have to try that someday. Yeah. So, well, how you doing today? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't okay. need to ask you that because yeah. we rode in together on the subway. I was just going to say we've spent the past hour talking, so we're good. All right, good. so we literally know each other since uh, the late 70s. So that's a pretty long time, and we're still here, not, not, and uh, knocking around. <laughs> We've uh, collaborated on a number of projects, and um, currently you're helping me um, with the, uh, I'm doing poetry or spoken word with music, and you're a key member of the Bitter Pill Collective. I, re I really like that. that. That sounds so Soviet. Yeah, I know, I right? Like <laughs> Boy, I feel like I should have a tractor. True. It would be nice to have a tractor. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> and um, so, uh, yeah, so we're, we're putting uh, some of my poetry to music, and we'll talk about that later. And we're actually going to play some cuts that we've recorded. Um, but uh, let's go back over a little bit with um, your, some of your music history. Right. Well, the key, the key, the key moments. Um, I started playing the drums when I was 12. Uh, I guess I played my first ever real party gig at a Lutheran church in Sunset Park when I was 13, close to 14. I've been doing it ever since. Right. Uh, played in all kinds, uh, played in all kinds of music, all kinds of music, all kinds of bands, country rock bands, punk bands. Uh, worked with a um, a Latin ensemble. It's just you know. Basically, I, I'm fortunate in the fact that I can play pretty much whatever I want when it comes to the drums. And uh, I, Pete and I have worked on a couple of interesting things. A, a, a dance performance at the old War Memorial Theater in Brooklyn, which was... Uh, really cool space. Yeah, it, it was an exceptional space. It was an octagonal, curtained-off space inside this giant, uh, giant open room. And uh, Cosmogony was the name of the, the production. And uh, we had had a, a small drum ensemble together. It was just friends who would get together and play together. Uh, for some, I, I don't know who made the connection. I think you made the connection. 
right to this uh, to this thing and they said oh, sure you know we'll, sure we could use seven drummers and I'm like <laughs> oh god are you in for it now but uh, we did that and we've trailed each other around I've helped him do recordings and stuff it's uh, just so just be careful when you kind of move you kind of move away from the mic and okay these mics are um, kind of sensitive like you have to be on top of them yep got it we want the, the listeners to hear every word that you say every <laughs> every salient detail yes so yeah, so we. I mean, I I am almost stunned at how long we've been friends. Yep, it goes back. Well, um, on a personal level, you were the best man at, at my wedding. <laughs> ah, you know, that's the first time you've ever admitted that in public. I know. I try not to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't get away Some, from it. Yep. What was your favorite of all those things that you did? What was your favorite? I, you uh, know, I love them all. Basically, yeah. I, I for me. From the very beginning, from the, from the time I was a young kid, you know, with the transistor radio hidden under the blankets at night, it just—it was always about music. The, let's talk, let's name the punk outfit you played because there, there was a pretty, you know, great band and uh, you know, uh, big in the scene here in New York City in the eighties. It was Ed Gein's car, right? And interestingly enough, uh, someone recently sent me a link to some guy who's somehow collected an enormous amount of the stuff that we had released and. Things that we hadn't released. Is it available online? It's on YouTube. Get out of here. Yeah, I, I found it. Um, I I forget who I had mentioned it to, and they said, hey, you know, you should look at this particular guy, and, and son of a gun, if there aren't videos and recordings and stuff. And it, it was interesting enough. They were, uh, it was it was kind of sarcastic and funny. and Oh, great, great songs. Yeah. And it was a really good power unit. And, 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 and let's give Scott credit. Oh, he was a really big, good front man. Big Scott pro- Weiss. Big props to Scott Weiss. Yeah. Uh, you know, just... Uh, Who's uh, basking in the sun in California. Yeah, he, he, went, he went west, young man. Um, but we were on the, uh, that sort of, I don't know if they call it uh, uh, fly-by-night. It wasn't at all. It was the CBGB's CBGB's off the board label, which had some great bands on it, and uh, so that, you know we were, we actually through celluloid released a uh, a live at CBS album, but that and that was fun. It was a fun period. Is but that like, available anywhere, or is I that in that guy's collection? Or it isn't. It is on that stuff that's online. Right. But all that stuff is. You know, we're talking about the mid '80s, so a lot of that stuff has faded away into the distance. So in in transparency, I was uh, the. I was in the first incarnation of that band, uh, and it was called um, uh, uh, Brain Dead, <laughs> which is, you know, it sounds fun for a punk band. But uh, one time, just two stories quick about my part in it. Um, one time, uh, we decided we were going to put up flyers for a show we were doing in the East Village. I hate to say it, my memory is not always that great. I forget where we were playing, but it was in the East Village. So we figured, oh, let's go to East Village, put up some flyers, and let's go to the park, Tompkins Square Park. So we walk into the park, and we see there's a rally going on, and it was um, a rally or a protest for the death of Michael Stewart. And that was a really big deal at the time, and he had been beaten up in Bensonhurst, and he was on life support. And we were like, oh, great. We're putting up posters for a band called Brain Dead at this rally. And we said, maybe we should rethink this. But that was my one f- first story. And one of the... F- the f- I don't know why this sticks in my head, but it really does. One of the funniest things I ever heard a, a, a front guy say, for me anyway, it was really funny. It was we were playing in Queens. Um, forget where it was. It was an outdoor show. It was Queens College. It was an outdoor show at Queens College. 
and we opened for a metal band, and I guess they must have had a, a, a pop, uh, you know, the popular in that in Queens. So they had a big following, and they hated us, <laughs> you know, and it was just one of the worst reactions. I mean, you know, it's funny because punk and metal can sometimes overlap, and sometimes it just doesn't. Like the, you know, it's a two different two different crowds, and the reaction was terrible. And at the end of the set, uh, Scott said. I'm taking my football and going home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why that just sticks sticks in my head. Yeah, that was that, that was interesting. That was an interesting period. Um, it was fun. Uh, we spent a lot of time at CB's, which New Yorkers know exactly how seminal CBGB's was to the music scene here. Yep. H- how about we play something that we we recently uh, did together? Please. Cool. So. Um, this one is called uh, Rivington Street, and um, this is uh, in the 90s. I worked for Life Beat the Music Inter- Industry Fights AIDS, and I ran a program called Hearts and Voices, where we went into hospitals and long-term care facilities and brought musicians to play for people living with AIDS in these places. And Rivington House was a 200-bed facility, which is literally would have been just two blocks away from here, but it's no longer there. And um, so th- I wrote something based on um, a true person, uh, a real person, I should say. And uh, you and uh, your nephew, Evan, uh, helped me put music to it. So we'll, let's play a little bit of that, and then we'll get back to the uh, discussion. the plate-sized button and the front door of the residence automatically opened and he wheeled himself outside out the door and down the ramp and up the block to the park it's not central but it had trees and benches and sometimes pretty girls flitting by it took him back back when he was young and had game now he was stuck in his chair watching life on the Lower East Side leave him behind. He didn't recognize anyone anymore, and he missed the old days. Hanging out on the street corner, drinking a Colt 45 and bragging with the crew. They are long gone, and Jimmy's corner bodega was now a fancy boutique. He quickly gulped down his Bustello, afraid some well-meaning hipster would toss coins in his grind. No, he didn't take handouts, at least not that way. And yeah, he lived on the government's dime, but not by choice. by his choice.
made the best of it, living with AIDS in a long-term care facility. Despite the hanging beads and the colored lights and photos of his angel plastered on his wall, it was just a hospital room when you get down to it. Been eight years and he can't even remember how it came to all of this or he was really good at forgetting. He opened his sketchbook and drew gods and heroes in a place much better than this. Time was suspended as images filled the clouds and the pencil moved across the page. The minutes of the day chipped away. It was time to go back and wait in his room for the squeaky wheels to come down the hall and be served a plate of humility pills and a cup of juice to wash it down. To wash it down. You know, it's, it's funny. I think people forget exactly how deadly the AIDS crisis was in the 80s. Yeah, we you know uh, it's important for people to remember. Well, this was the nineties, and it was still yeah. you know it was still a problem. I mean, it was. I mean, oops, sorry, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> that's my sister on the piano. The whispers told her she was. It's it's you know in light of what we've been through the past few years with the pandemic and stuff, it's it's horrible when when something when a disease becomes politicized. You know. You, oh, definitely. AIDS uh, was definitely politicized you, in a big you, way. You look at you. You look at the people who suffer. You look at the people who die, and they're people, plain and simple. They deserve whatever care, whatever sympathy, and whatever respect you can pony up. Yep. Um, and it, I, I thought that was particularly, uh, a particularly painful piece of writing. Right. Um, and the funny thing about it, and we talk about this all the time in terms of poetry and songwriting. It's first lines are so important. You know, it's just what what do you do? What's the first line you write, and how do you how do you draw people in? Yeah, I try to get. Oops, I think I got better at that as I as I've gone along. Yeah, I, you know, I songwriting. The thing about songwriting is, you know, uh, first lines are, good, are really important. But I I think about some of the best ones I've ever read in my life, and uh, one of them that sticks in my head is the first line of "The Postman Always Rings Twice." Um, the the central character says, "They threw me off the hay truck about noon." And it's instant character exposition. You know, what was this guy doing on the hay truck, and why did they throw him out? And why at noon? It's just yeah, yeah. I know. There's uh, so many questions yeah. you can ask on that one pick, sentence. Yeah, pick pick him out. You know, yeah, call, one line. Call me Ishmael. I, yeah. I have you know, but that's that's that thing, and it's it's um, it, it's amazing how uh, more and more of the work that you've done and of the recent stuff I've seen, the first lines just really, first lines are really just killer. Oh, cool. Thanks for saying that. I want to give a little. Um, uh, backdrop to that piece uh, besides the content w that we talked about uh, so you know and, and and it's leading up to all of this that's happening here it, you know I put a book out I mean I started reading uh, writing I've said this in other of my episodes so I don't want to go through it too many times but I put a book out and then decided well what's next and I decided to submit some of the poems to a poetry contest but and they said you can do with music I said oh that's interesting. That would marry, you know, my lifelong love of music and being a musician with the poetry. And I said, well, maybe I'll see if Fred wants to 
come up with some pieces. And you said yes right away. And it's cool because, yeah, we have worked together a few times. Not as many times as you might expect because we're both drummers and it's not always the opportun- opportunity for two drummers to, to be in the same band. But um, and I said, you know, Fred's really, you know, been playing the guitar quite a bit in the, in the last decade or two and, uh, and got really, really good at it. And I said, well, maybe you'd be interested in doing it. And you said yes right away, which is, which is really cool. And then for this piece, I remember tell, giving you a framework of what I was looking for. I wanted to have that Lower East Side feel, so I was kind of thinking of Johnny Thunders or Mink DeVille, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I think you nailed it. It's just uh, the perfect sound for that song. Thank you. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> Coming from a, a self-professed, seriously amateur guitar player, that's, uh, I, I definitely appreciate that. But it, it's funny. It, it, it's all about influences, I think, you know, I spent my life playing other people's songs. Um, Which is, you know, actually a great, great way to make your own thing and it, learn. I mean, everybody does that. You know, the Beatles years, did it in a big way. Yeah. Years ago, there was a, a giant Picasso retrospective at, at uh, the Brooklyn Museum. And part of it were Picasso's student paintings. And what they were, were the way artists were schooled in that era. They were copies of the old masters. And basically, if Picasso didn't go his own way, he would have been a heck of an art forger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's like anything else. You learn the techniques. You, you learn to appreciate things. You learn to understand um, what, the, what the elements of the art are, the art form are. I mean, we talk about, I always talk about uh, little songs. Um, easily defined, it's uh, a couple of really concise, good verses and a memorable chorus. And... There were a few that I think, uh, uh, you know, Warren Zevon's Carmelita. That's a great song. Uh, I love that song. Randy Newman's Guilty, which is probably, probably the all-time best misery song ever written, and Save the Last Dance for Me, which the Doc Palmer song, which is I think the model for all little songs. It's just beautifully written, and the chorus sticks in your head instantly. And that's you know you try to work towards that. Sometimes I think bands make the mistake of not really starting off with that foundation of doing covers because you learn so much about who you are as a musician and then and it can inform your music. I mean, really, the great bands did that. I mean, you know, if you consider the Beatles and Stones from the 60s, great bands, that's how they started out. The, the Stones were a blues cover band and the Beatles did all kinds of like, you know, 50s rock and roll stuff. So um, and then it becomes your own. You know, and I don't know if you felt this, Um, you know, I was in bands with some really good songwriters, but sometimes the covers were as much fun or more fun to play. True. You know, you make them your your own. I played for, good God, 14 years in a regulation bar and party band. Yeah, and you guys did like 300 songs. Yeah, it was was one of those things where our job was to play more songs than you could get to play on the jukebox. Yeah, you basically were a live jukebox. And and not only that, but I insisted that one song is a waste of time. You gotta have, you gotta hook them together so there are five, six, or seven that flow seamlessly. And it was a workout. It was like running a marathon. But uh, after a while, you know, you suddenly get a feel for how things hang together. And, uh, you know, and I, since, you know, since I'm just sitting back there on the drums, I, I'm playing one song and singing another in my head, and that's how it happens. Cool. So I was thinking maybe uh, we would play another tune that you worked on with me. Uh, this one's called Road Worry, and it's funny because I feel like it's one of my favorite pieces that I do. And, um, you know, when, 
when we started this, and I wanted to include this in um, in what we were doing, I decided I wanted to look back and see what page it was on in in the book <laughs> that I put out, and I realized somehow forgot to put it in the in the book. It's really funny. So it'll be in uh, the second book, which will come out next year. Uh, so it's it's called Road Warrior, and um, it's you on a, a frame drum and your nephew on guitar. And so tell me what it's like to play with your nephew. I think it's really cool. Well, I have two nephews. They're, they're both men at this point. They're older. Both are musicians. Um, I was the scourge of their mother for a long time because once they started to play and they wanted to get more and more involved, I always made sure they had equipment and and Evan. And I'm sure she really appreciated the drum set. <laughs> hey, you know. Uh, Evan, the, my older nephew who's on this, just he's very accomplished. He's been in, he's been in some amazing bands in, in his time. And he's very open-minded about music, which is interesting because he, um, we spent a lot of time talking about stuff and he'll ask me what I'm listening to. And he, he's the demon of Spotify. You know, he just goes after stuff and you know, we'll listen to an, a, a songwriter's entire catalog and absorb it, you know, it's just, for him, it's like cramming for an exam. And uh, it's wonderful to see because um, he feels about music the way I feel about music. So does his brother, Josh. So it's kind of nice to have those guys in the family. Yeah, it definitely is, and great to have him uh, as part of the uh, collective. And <laughs> maybe we can wrangle uh, Josh in at some point on something. Uh, so let's play uh, Road Warrior now that we've uh, built it up. This one's called Road Warrior, and I dedicate it to all those souls out there who were once saved by rock and roll. She stood erect with her chest puffed forward like a warrior preparing for the kill, and let out a guttural scream that emanated from her diaphragm and vibrated in her throat like ping pong balls in an air-filled tube. It was a violent release of anger and pain stored deep in her soul at the behest of a lifetime of abuse. And it shook the foundation to the core that left the audience both stunned and exhilarated at the same time. The drummer pounded out a loud, thumping beat. It was a cue for the band to come in with their mournful tune in a minor key. They knew they were part of a moment and a witness too. It was a late night religious experience, cathartic for those wishing to have something to believe in. As sweat poured down from her brow, she coaxed out every last drop of emotion she had left to give. And for that night, under the glare of the colored stage lights, and amongst the din of amplified grit, she was free. She felt like she was someone better than her own image of who she is. And when she collapsed backstage in a worn out stained sofa chair with a cold beer in her hand, she knew that briefly, she commanded her demons as they danced relentlessly in her head. They were kept at bay until the quiet of the next day when they would begin to stir again. 
while driving to the next town. In the harsh light of the morning sun, she slumped in the back of the van, looking out the window at trees and light posts whooshing by on the slowly stretch of another American highway. And she quietly repeated the mantra in her head. I am free. I am free. I am free. And I will summon the courage to stand on another stage in another town in front of another faceless crowd who will never, never know how truly lonely I am. The thing that's amazing, <clears throat> uh, it's the narrative. And I've always, uh, you know, uh, there, there's, there's poetry, and then there's poetry like this that the narrative is so deep and it's so carefully put together, it's, it's a complete story. I, I've always admired narrative songwriting. That's my style, it's mostly storytelling. It, it's funny because it, it dawned on me thinking about this the other day that what was the first, my first influence with narrative songwriting and actually it's the theme to the movie high noon it's just, it's sort of this it, it sounds corny but it's this song lays out the entire plot of the movie while the credits are rolling and it also contains probably the most forced rhyme i've ever heard um uh, the line is uh, he made a vow while in state's prison vowed it would be my life or hisen huh. takes nice. guts to write that yeah definitely. but but that that leads me to like all the other narrative songwriters some of them uh, um i think okay i will freely admit i'm a giant steve Earle fan we can't uh, even yeah. we can't even get past that right but he's got a he's a couple of songs of his uh, high, uh high, good examples of narrative songwriting he's got a song called tom ames tom ames prayer and the opening, the opening verse is, everyone in Nagadoshes knew Tom Ames would come to some bad end because the sheriff caught him stealing chickens and such by the time that he was 10. Uh, <laughs> and by the way, his son was a, a terrific oh, songwriter yeah. as well and uh, tragically died young. I, did I ever sh um, share with you? I wrote something about... You did? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Steve Earle, uh, you know, son... Um, Justin. Yeah, Justin, named after Justin Towns. Uh, Zant. Um, I said that kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, you're named after Towns Van Zant. <laughs> yeah, Towns Van Zant. I knew it didn't come out right. Um, but uh, um, after the, after he died, somehow uh, Steve got the courage to do an album of his son's songs, which is great yeah. album. Consider considering. Yeah, it must have taken a lot of, like I said, to, you know, to do that. It must have been really intense. Considering how Steve Earle's life went and, you know, Finally, having his son turn out to be as good a songwriter as he is, yeah, and then the really losing. Yeah. But that's you know, it's 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 a craft. It's a you got to have a story to tell, or you got to have something funny to say. I, you know, we t I talk about we talked about John Prine a lot, right? And one of John Prine's songs that I think doesn't get enough attention. Well, there were two actually that I really love. One is called "Daddy's Little Pumpkin," but there's a song called "How Lucky," and it's got 
one of the better first verses I've ever heard. It's last night I saw an accident on the corner of 12th and Green. Two cars collided and I got excited just being part of that scene. Wow. It was Mrs. Tom <laughs> it was Mrs. Tom Walker and her beautiful daughter, Pamela, was driving the car. They were hit by a man in a light blue sedan who had probably been to a bar. Nah. There's a loss. Yeah. Prine was a loss. Yep. One uh, one of the Unbelievable. Uh, one of the many uh, losses during the uh, COVID pandemic. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing about him was uh, his later life was really productive. Yeah. You know, he, was, he put some great albums out to, uh, towards the end. I, and you think about it, he was a lifelong smoker. He survived throat cancer. We had seen him perform right after he had gone back uh, to performing live after the surgery. And he was, he was pretty racked by it. But he was great. He was well, just great. He put an album out. Uh, I think the last album he put out was with uh, Swamp Dog, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a great album. And, you know, Swamp Dog is a funny name for a, a performer. I would love to know how that came about. Uh, but Swamp Dog's really good. He put some great stuff out. But the album they put out together, I really, really love. So um, if people have been listening to this podcast or even just from the intro, and we talked about uh, the music uh, you put together and arranged for it, for that um maybe we should play that before we go sure so it's called uh, her life now do you want to say anything about how you came up with the arrangement for that <laughs> okay um how i came up with the arrangement there are a lot of players i admire and every so often i sit down and try to figure out you know hey, how do they do that or, you know youtube is a great instructional device because you get sometimes get to see players close up and you see what they do and i had when Pete had brought her life now to me, I had a song that I was working on, and I sat down and read it, and I thought, wait a minute, uh, you know, this this little lick goes would go better with this than anything I was working on, and it's kind of, I'm a big Taj Mahal fan. Yeah, uh, me too. And and, and, <laughs> and he's still going strong too. Yeah, you know, kicking butt. Yep. And and basically also, that's the intro. And they just I just want to make one point about open minded listening. You never know where something you like is going to take you, you know. So it's, uh, you know, I had no idea what classical music was when I was fourteen, but I knew who James Cotton was, and I knew who Paul Butterfield was, and I, you know, so. But you just keep your, you just keep your ears on, and it becomes a real experience. The, it's it's an education in more than music. It's an education in life. It's an education in politics because in some instances, some of the people you admire, uh, their careers were stymied by racism and, and poor economic conditions but you look at the work and the work is spectacular so I will freely admit that I heard something that Taj Mahal played and I thought oh I kind of like that and this is how that thing came to be. cool and one more thing about him uh, and talk about people you admire for all our all uh, both of our lives um, Taj Mahal, like I said, he's still going strong. He, d- he put an album out recently with Roy Cooter. So those are two great artists. <laughs> and they had played together in the 60s. I don't think they had done, or at least have recorded together since then, right? Yeah, Rising Suns was a... Yeah, uh, fantastic group. Yeah. So um, it's great, I mean, as an older person, <laughs> it's great to hear uh, <laughs> you, the people that you admire and that made a big impact in, in your musical life uh, still do some, some great things. Um, so this um, song is called um, Her Life Now, and uh, it's about a woman deciding to just be who she is.
She gave up caring what others thought after a lifetime of anxiety-induced inner turmoil. She needed some extra cash. It was getting really expensive hiding her true nature. So she grew her beard out, almost a ruddy brown, like a Krylon can from 1979. It was pretty startling. A Fellini magical profile. She felt proud. Signed up for a side hustle in Coney Island. Side shows by the seashore for the locals, the dreamers, and bored who were looking for a thrill out from the hot summer sun. They felt kinship amongst each other, the fellow outcasts and the outsiders who left mainstream a long time ago and stopped trying to fit into a world not really meant for their kind. But when the spotlight was turned on and the show began and the barker welcomed the audience, the curtain was raised. They hit the stage. Life was on their terms and nothing else mattered. on breathtaking display as the sun slowly went down. The show came to a close. Take a bow to the mad applause. Drop the curtain until the next show. She and her kind will pass time. This is her new glorious life. Now, this is her new glorious life. Okay, you get big props for playing the shakers and rattling the paper on that. <laughs> I'll have to do that Sunday. Yeah, um, this is going to come out after Sunday, so I, you know, I'm not promoting it, but we're doing a set as the Bitter Pill Collective on Sunday and at Freddy's, uh, uh, featured as, at an open mic. But hopefully 
Uh, my goal is next year for us to, you know, expand this, maybe put a record out, you know. So um, do you have any uh, closing thoughts? We're getting towards the end of the oh, show. Closing thought. Um, I don't know. Anything I, that uh, has anything to do with a sledgehammer? <laughs> no, I think I think we've pretty much covered uh, everything there is to cover. Okay, we're going to do a reprise of her new life now, but with you as a solo. So, uh, I'm, I'm actually a, I'm actually flattered that this has become the theme song for the I, podcast. I'd love it, and it's perfect as a theme song. And then a minor thing, but I don't have to worry about you know getting rights. <laughs> <laughs> So um, this has been Storytelling on Orchard Street, uh, recorded in the podcast studios at P&T Knitwear Bookstore on Orchard Street. My guest is my good longtime friend, uh, Fredo Genziano. Uh, thank you, Fred, for being part of the show today. My pleasure. And for the listeners, we really appreciate, appreciate you checking us out. Thank you so much. Uh, and until the next time, adios. Adios.